Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben here. I know I had announced a summer hiatus without new episodes, but we'll call today's episode number 421. It is August 4th, 2021. Today, I'm bringing you audio that comes from a live stream video broadcast that I did yesterday with my friend Ryan McCormick. Uh, we did that out on LinkedIn Live and uh, the Lean Blog Facebook page and YouTube Live. We talked for about 30 minutes. If you are a regular reader of Lean Blog, you'll know that Ryan contributes every other Friday his, what he calls his Operational Excellence Mixtape. Um, he includes links to articles and books and podcasts and all kinds of um, great resources. Um, you, again, you can find that at leanblog.org. Search for mixtape. Um, so we're talking about that. Why did he start that? What are some of his favorite books and podcasts? We'll talk a little bit about his experiences with lean and operational excellence in healthcare and other settings. If you are a listener of the occasional Lean Whiskey podcast, Ryan was my guest. We had a conversation in episode 12 of that series. So if you want to find links to all of this, you can go to leanblog.org slash 421. All right. Hi. Welcome to my live stream. I'm Mark Graben, and I am the host of a number of podcasts, among other things. I'm the host of a podcast called Lean Blog Interviews. I'm a host of a, a podcast called My Favorite Mistake. And today I've got uh, a guest here, a friend of mine, Ryan McCormick. Uh, we've met, uh, how, how many years ago? I, I should welcome you, but we'll keep this casual. We met maybe 10 years ago? I'd say 10-ish, yeah. Maybe, maybe a touch more. Um, so we, we crossed paths when I was involved with um, the Lean Enterprise Institute and uh, an organization now called Catalysis. I had a chance to come uh, visit Ryan's organization. So Ryan, how about if, if you want to fill in some of the details here about where you live and where you were working at the time and, and what you're doing now in terms of uh, some introductions? Sure. Uh, so my name's Ryan. I live in uh, sunny Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Uh, Mark, you and I first met when uh, I worked at St. Boniface Hospital. Uh, they were in a engaged in a fairly significant lean transformation starting in about 2007. Um, and uh, of course, our paths crossed through all sorts of learning events and, and Gemba visits across uh, North America. Uh, currently, I work for Canadian Pacific Railway based out of here in Winnipeg. Uh, we're undergoing a lot of transformation as well as uh, we learn to be the best operating railroad in North America. And so your career has kind of taken a path of, I don't know, like three phases, like pre-healthcare, then your time in healthcare, and now you've been doing other things. What what was helpful for you? Or what was that transition like pre-healthcare coming into healthcare with your job at St. Boniface? Wow. Yeah. Pre-healthcare, um, you know, the idea of using industrial engineering uh, techniques or improve this type of continuous improvement technique in healthcare was was still fairly unheard of at the time. Uh, so the challenge early on was just convincing people that uh, 
these methods have merit and can actually be helpful in reducing harm for patients and also improving uh, flow and and financials. So the early part of that was really just on that demonstration and convincing. Of course, now it's fairly well established that it, it can be part of a, a an approach to transform healthcare um, and improve value. Um, Post-healthcare, it's been a bit of adjustment to get back to uh, private industry with a little more results focus uh, than public healthcare in Canada had. So I've, I've enjoyed that transition back as well. And I've been able to apply a lot of what I learned in healthcare, which is probably the most complex system you can work in, um, into my roles post-healthcare. Yeah. And, you know, there are opportunities that we've both had to help bring ideas from one industry to another. Then there's the question of bringing ideas uh, across borders. I've been part of groups to come up to Winnipeg uh, there uh, to St. Boniface years ago. You were part of groups to come down to the U.S. You know, the, the Canadian healthcare system in the different provinces is, of course, very different in a lot of ways from the high level structure of the U.S. health system. But what, what comes to mind when you think in, uh, in terms of things that can actually be learned when it comes to healthcare delivery, commonalities or lessons that can be shared? Yeah, I mean, that was a common question I would get is, well, that works well in public health care, but what about private? Um, and truth be told, having visited so many different locations throughout Canada and the U.S., I, the problems that the healthcare providers and patients and facilities encountered were all the same. Um, mm -hmm. It like the the who pays side uh, rarely figured in in the main causes of what was preventing the delivery of the highest quality care mm -hmm. was your usual your usual suspects applied absolutely everywhere. So um, and that that bore out really quickly. I thought I personally thought it would be a bigger difference. I remember the first time we went to Appleton, I was like, ah, well, yeah, but it's the U.S., so it won't be the same. But uh, <laughs> once we talked to the first nurse and first doctor about what was frustrating them, I realized uh, the problems are absolutely the same. Those day-to-day -day challenges when it really gets into the nitty-gritty of how care is organized and how care is delivered tends to be very similar. You know, there, there may be slightly different systemic root causes to an issue like emergency room waiting times. You know, in the U.S., it might be people who don't have insurance and don't have access to care, so they go to the emergency room. Uh, in Canada, there might be other drivers leading people to come to the ER um, when, it's, when like, it's, it's questionable. Should this be emergency care or not? Yeah, and of course, uh, probably the biggest contributor to systemic emergency backlog in Canada is is downstream, which is uh, the lack of capacity in, in acute medical wards primarily, um, which mm -hmm. isn't always the case in the U.S. Yeah, so and speaking of different places, and, and please do add into the chat where you're from. I see people have been doing that already. We've got people here from South Africa, Chile, Ghana, uh, Iran. So wow. really cool to have a global audience to say hello to and share a cup of coffee with. Um, well, the one thing I wanted to talk about today and, and one thing I've been really appreciative of Ryan for is something he puts out every other Friday. Um, he calls it the Operational Excellence Mixtape. And if you are ever short on something to read or you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, Ryan um, does such a good job of curating things that would be interesting 
um, on topics of operational excellence or even things that might be kind of on the periphery of operational excellence when it comes to leadership and psychology and change management. Um, So Ryan puts that out as an email, which you can sign up for, or Ryan's been kind enough to allow me to post um, all of the mixtape going back a couple of years on my blog, leanblog.org. So if you do a search for lean blog mixtape, um, you'll find Ryan's most recent one and you'll, you'll find the history if you want to go into that. Um, But I, I wanted to ask you, Ryan, you know, what, what was the origin for putting together the mixtape and, and maybe even explain for people what it is. We had somebody once who was looking for the, the music to listen to. And, and that's not, I mean, that's literally what a mixtape used to be, but tell, tell us a little bit about this collection you do and, and how it got started. Yeah. So when, when I started in healthcare, um, part of that whole convincing process that some of these ideas are worth experimenting with included the um, you know, predisposition to healthcare professionals to look for the literature first. Uh, so I quite often I'd be like, hey, why don't we try this approach or why don't we run an experiment on, on this you know, particular process? And, and one of the defensiveness uh, or, or even the questions I would get from providers is what does the literature say? Um, so that was starting to frustrate me a bit. And I thought, well, okay, what does the literature say? Uh, so what I started to do was procure different articles at the time, mostly from like New England Journal of Medicine that related to improvement. Um, and then I started sending those out to a mailing list at the hospital every couple of weeks as a, well, here's what the literature says as a, as a way for us to discuss um, what it could mean for us at St. Boniface Hospital. But um, also as a way to kind of convince people, hey, what, why don't we try this? This is a um, this is a legitimate approach. Look at other places are learning. And then from there, um, I had more people from the hospital start asking me, hey, I heard you send out these links. Uh, could I be included as well? And then um, it just kind of spiraled from there and it became something I started offering up publicly maybe six years ago. Uh, so I do, you know, now people subscribe to it. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you share it on, on your your uh, website. And it's kind of expanded away from just healthcare. It started off just as healthcare-related um, links. And now uh, I tend to include anything that I think is interesting relative to creating value, driving improvement, and coaching and developing self or others. Yeah, so we had somebody asking in the comments how to find it. Um, again, you can go to leanblog.org, do this link slash question mark S equals mixtape, or you can just Google lean blog, Ryan mixtape, and you can get it through the blog or there are links in all of those posts for how you can sign up to get it um, directly from Ryan um, via email. Um, we've got people here also from, let's see, Missouri, Nigeria, Florida, Wisconsin, South Carolina. So again, thank you everyone um, for being here. Yeah. So, you know, my, my blog, um, Back in 2005, it's funny, I was doing something very similar before I started the blog. I would send articles out to a list of friends, um, some of them from work, some of them from grad school. And then, um, you know, at some point I said, well, let me put it on a blog. I'll let people pull uh, for that information. Sometimes people appreciate having the information pushed out them. So to me, this isn't um, an academic discussion of which is best push versus pull. People have options. Absolutely. Um, I have a question just triggered by something you said when it comes to journal articles. One thing I think is fascinating, I think especially in healthcare, there's a, a reliance on 
looking at the literature when that comes to clinical innovations or clinical decision-making, and you can do these controlled double-blind studies on medications or therapeutic treatments, I think a lot of that makes sense. When it comes to management and culture, I think it's a lot more difficult to do those types of studies. Um, you can look for evidence, um, anecdotal and measurable, that lean methods work in healthcare. And people will say, well, show me the journal article approves this work when the prevailing existing management system was not chosen based off of. Absolutely. There's no evidence for what we're currently doing. Um, so why not try even or take a leap of faith? But uh, that argument doesn't uh, uh, doesn't compel too many people in healthcare, in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people do get anchored in the status quo. It must be the status quo for a reason. And I think those of us who do work with lean and, and other methodologies tend to think, well, everything everything can be better. We can We can create improvements to the existing system or invent, create a new, a new system. But um, back to the mixtapes. Um, so, you know, uh, again, I encourage people to check those out. Ryan shares links to articles online, uh, books. We always know what he's reading or what he's about to read and, and what he's listening to. Is there a, a recent favorite book or one that you've read that you might want to share a little bit about? Um, sure. Uh I'd say some of my more recent favorites uh, is one book by Roger Martin. It's called, um, here, I have it right here. When more is not better. Huh. I'll if you can see it right here. Cause he writes a lot about corporate strategy. Is that correct? Um, yes. Yeah, so he's a, he's a professor at the university of Toronto here in Canada. He writes a lot about corporate strategy. Uh, I found this book particularly interesting. It's a bit of a modern take on, um, some principles that we're all familiar familiar with from Deming, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, some he walks through some fairly well publicized examples of where seeking efficiency for its own sake can create a host of problems um, rather than solve them. It can lead to um, monopolistic situations. It can lead to sub optimization um, and short termism. Whereas, of course, uh, you know, students of improvement often know that long-term thinking is is essential principle, and mm-hmm. thinking of the whole system is uh, is a lot lot more sustainable than thinking of improving a part. Uh, so it was good. He walks through, for example, the Wells Fargo example that many of us are familiar with, where even you know, sub-optimizing against a metric mm-hmm. caused systemic damage to the customers and to the the brand of Wells Fargo that that continue to endure today. Um, So he offers up some different ways of thinking from from a business executive point of view, from an academic point of view, and even into political point of views. I'm not really a political guy, but uh, he offers up some ideas of of how to make long-term improvements and gains for everybody in in a political sense. So that's mm-hmm. one book I, I highly recommend. It's quite readable and not too long. Yeah, just a quick comment on the Wells Fargo case. And this is something I've blogged about where, you know, the CEO decided uh, eight is great and that's that every right. customer should have eight accounts. Like I, it's eight hard product. to think about eight yeah. different products you could have, a mortgage, a checking account, a savings account, a car loan, a because you could have investment vehicles. But that led to, um, as you described it, a very systemic problem where frontline bank employees and managers were 
um, under pressure to either pressure, you know, pressure customers into signing up for accounts they didn't need, or even doing so on behalf of the customer when it wasn't authorized. And so you talked about the harm to the customers, the harm to Wells Fargo's reputation. It actually also harmed a lot of people's careers because people were individuals were fired for what I would I would really um, I would die on this hill that this was a systemic problem. It was happening all across the bank. And it's a systemic problem, I think, driven by the pressure. There's another book out there called The Tyranny of Metrics. This might fall in that category. Very good book. And um, it was driven by organizational policy. And if the bank wanted to say, well, we had thousands of unethical employees, that's a different systemic problem. And I don't believe it was thousands of unethical employees. So some of these people literally can't work in banking or finance again if they were fired for cause, which is... Know, a d- different level of damaging. Yeah, and 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 the basic thesis of of uh, when more is not better is if we we've gotten pretty good over a hundred years of treating business as a mechanical machine that we can optimize by pulling mm-hmm. levers, mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't always lend itself to sustainable improvement in the more complex environments we have today. Now that said, that was an argument in healthcare I used to get a lot. Um, as to why not to apply these principles. It would be like, well, we're a complex adaptive system, therefore these methods don't work. But of course, thinking systemically, um, respecting individuals and learning through experimentation are completely consistent with these ideas of how to uh, create noise and change within a complex adaptive framework as well. Yeah. There was a second book you were about to mention, is that right? Yeah, I could go. I could mention a hundred, but here's another one I like that I brought with me. It's uh, called "How Innovation Works" by Matt Ridley. Um, innovation is is the flavor these days. I find many big organizations are engaging in innovation labs, um, pursuing innovation as as the new methodology to help propel them and, and help transform. Um, there's some great historical walks through um, innovation over history, whether it's the steam engine to the computer. Um, and Matt Ridley does a great job of sharing which what the underlying principles are that are common with innovation throughout human history. And they're things, again, very familiar to lean thinkers, um, things like collaboration, Uh, Most innovation over history was actually done by what he refers to in the book as unlettered people. So this is another reason engage widely in your organizations Uh um, to drive improvement. People need to be free to experiment and learn from trial and error. That's essential ingredient to innovation throughout human history, as well as gradual incrementalism. That's part of the challenge why big organizations engaging in innovation strategies may struggle with that short termism. You want that big step change. You want to go all in on that one change. Uh, but history shows us that sustainable innovation and breakthrough innovations come from long-term gradual incrementalism. Hmm. Can you turn, does the book touch on the idea, can you turn innovation into a process? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it does. But the, you know, the spoiler alert, the process is the scientific method. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a great insight to me personally reading the book, but that's a, essentially what one can arrive through there. Um, interesting too, that, uh, over history, innovation tends to be a competition 
Um, and quite often the, the, uh, the degree to which simultaneous innovation for the same breakthrough or the same problem happens over history is remarkable. Uh, but that just goes to show more reason to be transparent, and more reason to collaborate uh, across the globe. And today there's very few barriers in doing that. Mm-hmm. And when you say, or when they say unlettered, you mean people without college degrees and the letters right. after their names that we see in healthcare, at least. Yeah, uh, you know, read the book and, and you find out many, many of the innovations that made human life better came from people just tinkering. Just mm-hmm. regular people trying things out, tinkering. Yeah. And like you were saying, that that points to the need to engage everyone in the organization and continuous improvement and tap into right. everybody's creativity. Don't make innovation a, a department that has a license or monopoly on ideas in your organization. Um, engage widely, engage deeply, and engage frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and unleashing freedom for people to test out their ideas without fear of failure um, mm-hmm. and with the support to, to move forward. Yeah. Um, there was a comment in the chat here from uh, Tom, who works in healthcare, uh, Tom Boothelay, and he says, there isn't much evidence for many of our medical treatments either. I know a couple of years ago, I heard Dr. Brent James, who's pretty legendary in the healthcare quality improvement circles. And at the time, maybe a decade ago, he said maybe one third of medicine is driven by like really well-known evidence-based best practices. Like it's typically the most common kind of illnesses. Um, You said a lot of things in children's medicine, but then a lot of healthcare. And I've, I've faced this as a patient a couple of times over the last 15 years, getting wildly different opinions from two different physicians or two different surgeons about what the right path forward was. And, and, and they're in, in their own mind, they were each correct. I'm sure. Yeah, and that's that's another book I'm I've been reading too is Noise by Daniel Kahneman. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a good reminder of this topic about variation, which is obviously near and dear uh, to lean thinkers as well. But it it just reinforces the point you just made is variation is way more rampant than we think. And you know what, humans are lousy at judgment. And the bad news is uh, machines that we're building now are um, only slightly better. Um, unfortunately, um, the, the book, uh, for those of you who've read Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, which was one of the better books um, I've ever read, I had high expectations. I found noise to be good, but uh, ironically, I found it to be a bit noisy as well. <laughs> delving in the meaning, like delving in the topics that kind of distracted from the main point? Yeah, I would move around a lot. It had a... Um, a lot of different discussion on how to calculate error throughout the book. Um, I felt that it could have been delivered more clearly and in about half the number of pages. Yeah, that's true with a lot of books. And I hope I'm not guilty of that uh, with any of mine. So Ryan loves sharing uh, books and then he's also a podcast listener. Is there a podcast episode or a podcast series that comes to mind recently for you? Something you enjoyed? Sure. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, the Knowledge Project by Shane Parrish, who uh, has a website called Farnham Street, which is quite popular. He brings on a lot of heavy hitting thinkers uh, that share ideas. Recently, uh, I the last one I recall listening to, we had Danny Meyer, who's the founder of Shake Shack, on. Mm-hmm. 
the lessons he shared on on customer service uh, are universal and and were just inspiring. I find Shane Parrish's uh, um, his writings and his his podcast really challenge traditional ways of thinking. Um, those of you who follow the mixtape know I'm also a big fan of coaching for leaders with Dave Stahoviak. Um, they're good too because they're shorter, like 20, mm-hmm. 20 to 30 minutes. He brings on great coaches. Um, I can relate to almost every episode. It's at one part of my career and it's listenable in like my commute. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's, that's enjoyable. Of course, lean blog podcast classic, uh, that I continue to listen to. Uh, hey, uh, Mark, I just noticed the other day that you, you published just a, a, a brief, um, list of, of those who've been guests on your podcast that are no longer with us. And mm-hmm. of course, one of my personal mentors, uh, Dr. Uh, Michelle Tatro, uh, you mentioned and reshared his audio clip. So I want to thank you for that. Yeah, I, I, you obviously got to work with them much more closely than I did. I probably had, you know, four or five different, you know, encounters with him visiting St. Boniface Hospital. Um, I will never forget how he was part of a group that went and visited um, an airbag manufacturer in Utah called Auto Leave. And so here he was crossing borders, crossing industries, looking for lessons about improving safety and, and lean management. And um, yeah, we all, we all miss him a lot. I know he was uh, very, um, you know, very, very principled to, to me, a very principled and earnest and inspiring leader. The little bit I got to talk with him. Absolutely. Um, another podcast I'd like to recommend everybody that I listened to recently was the uh, work life with Adam Grant. Mm-hmm. He recently had a podcast centered on speaking up at work. Um, and it's, I think he did a great job of dissecting the very prevalent and popular uh, concept around psychological safety. Um, he shared some interviews with some folks from Boeing um, as like what contributed to the 737 MAX tragedies. Uh, mm-hmm. He brings on some military guests as well to talk about how to cultivate psychological safety and remind us that it's not about being nice to everybody. That's mm-hmm. a common uh, thing I get when I bring up this subject is a uh, psychological safety is not just being nice and placating people at all. And uh, I think uh, Admiral McRaven on this particular podcast does a great job of reminding us uh, how to achieve psychological safety um, with without it becoming an exercise in softness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in that episode, Amy Edmondson from Harvard was, I think, one of the experts that um, was she I, I haven't listened to it. So I saw that. I, I think I saw the the notes. Did he I, he had interviews interspersed with different people in that episode? I should go and listen to it. Yeah. Amy Edmondson was on it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, another great book, uh, The Fearless Organization. I recommend uh, without uh, reservation to anyone on the line right now um, is about psychological safety and what are the factors that contribute to creating a culture where people aren't afraid to speak up at work. And the stakes are really high. Um, we're, that's what we're talking about. In healthcare, people can die. Yeah. Uh, we saw in the air, aircraft industry, people can die. So the stakes are very high. This is a very mm-hmm. important topic, and a lot can be learned from from these podcasts and books. Yeah, and I, I was really fortunate to have a chance um, to interview Professor Amy Edmondson in 
Mylene blog interviews, uh, podcast series, talking about her book and psychological safety. Um, so maybe the last thing um, before we wrap up, um, in interviews recently, I've come up with um, this question of, all right, tell me the best thing and the worst thing about blank. Um, what's the best thing about doing operational excellence work like you do, regardless of the industry? Um, for me personally, the best thing is is teaching and developing others um, with these principles. Um, I was fortunate to have strong mentors throughout my career, and I, whenever I'm able to give back um, in any job or any situation, um, if I look back at my proudest accomplishments, it's it's those I was able to to help along their journey. I'd say the worst thing is, I mean, it's kind of the flip side of one of the better things. One of the better things also is that uh, you know you get to work on all sorts of interesting problems, uh, so you're never bored. But I gotta tell you, once in a while, it'd be nice to be bored and just do some, you know. I had, a, I had a director that I used to work for who'd say, you know what, it's sometimes you just need to dig a ditch. Um, and I think what he meant was sometimes you need to get into a routine in order to liberate some of your thinking to come up with your most novel ideas. Um, and that sounds weird, but sometimes it'd be nice to get into more of a routine. And I find in operational excellence, you have to adapt and move on to problems very quickly. Um, so that's that's one of the, I shouldn't say it's a worse thing, but it, it's a, it's one downside. Yeah. And I invite people in the chat, maybe if, if you do work in this field of operational excellence or lean or lean six sigma, however you frame it, if you want to share something that's a best thing or a worst thing about doing that type of work, it would be interesting to see. Um, best thing, worst thing about living in Winnipeg. I'm throwing oh, wow. this out here. <laughs> best thing about living in Winnipeg. Uh, the sense of community. Winnipeg's well known for its uh, small town feel in a big city. I'd say that's the best thing. And if you're in Winnipeg, you're halfway to everywhere. You know, yeah. kind of. Right in the middle of the country, pretty much, right? But that's also the worst thing, is you're halfway to everywhere. Uh, so to get <laughs> anywhere, you have to travel as well. I know people hate the winters here. Like That's a big uh, sticking point of winter peg. Everyone thinks that's uh, hilarious. But uh, I, I'm, uh, I've, uh, I've lived in Canada my whole life. Uh, I love the winter. Um, that that doesn't bother me, but it does. Yeah, we're you know being isolated. Sometimes Winnipeg's a bit behind the trends as well, um, and sometimes perhaps Winnipeg suffers from a bit of an inferiority complex as a result. Compared but to it's unfounded, it's unfounded, yeah. Um, and you've get you've got your hockey team back, which I'm sure helps in terms oh, of civic pride. Absolutely, go Jets. <laughs> um. Final thing here, and again, I want you know I want to give exposure and a plug to uh, a project of Ryan's. Every other Friday, he publishes what he calls his operational excellence mixtape. It's an email that he sends out. It's also available um, on my blog, uh, leanblog.org. So if you search again, leanblog for mixtape, you can read those. You can subscribe through the blog, or you can subscribe if you want to get them directly from Ryan via email every two weeks. So kind of final thing here, uh, best thing about putting together the operational excellence mixtapes to you. Uh, well, it forces me to stay current. Um, it, uh, it keeps me motivated to keep learning and reading and listening and learning from others um, and to be able to share that as well. So that's the best thing. 
is there a worse thing? It might not be horrible, but what, what's, what's the worst thing about it? Well, this, again, this isn't a worse thing, but um, since I've been publishing the mixtape, it's been about nine years total. Uh, the amount of paywall has increased every mm -hmm. year over year. Mm -hmm. So the amount of uh, free and shareable material has gone down a lot. All right. Well, there we go. I, th I think this ends up being a flexible question. Best thing, worst thing. I mean, worst doesn't mean horrible. It just means, I guess, all things considered. So like, you know, the worst pizza is still I mean, <laughs> pizza. It's still generally Absolutely. pretty good. Right? Well, Ryan, thank you a lot for uh, doing the discussion here today. Thank you to everybody um, for joining us. And I know the conversation will continue in the chat um, with those who have been watching this as a recording. So I want to thank everyone uh, for tuning in, uh, joining us uh, around the world. Um, Ryan McCormick, it's uh, it's been good to talk to you. I'm glad we could share it today through the live stream. Thanks. Pleasure as always. Uh, for those listening, um, yeah, sub uh, subscribe to the mixtape or uh, hit me up on LinkedIn too and uh, let's chat improvement. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks again to Ryan. If you want to find links uh, to his mixtapes and everything he shares. Uh, again, you can find links to this by going to leanblog.org slash 421. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.